0: And we tend to like extremes. We tend to enjoy uh, going either to one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And kind of case in point, a lot of us like extreme sports. Some of you may have even enjoyed, if you've ever watched the National, I think it was National Geographic, if there was a film a few years back, won an Oscar called Free Solo. And it was this man doing something that was just, just crazy. He's literally climbing without a rope, this incredible just sheer rock face. And they're showing the, the the behind the scenes of what he's going through mentally and physically. And it's an incredible thing to watch. I mean, it's just, you're, you're watching to see, is he going to die or is he not going to die? But it's so extreme. Some of you may remember from, from years ago. I mean, this is dating just a little bit. But do you guys remember there was a show called Extreme Home Makeover? And it was... It was on Sunday nights. I would come home from church, and I was like, "I want to feel. I want to watch something." And and I would watch it. And it was this incredible display of there was this family typically that had been recommended to this group of of builders and contractors and interior designers of of they need help with their home, and so. Basically, in a week's time, they would come in. They would say, we're going to send you to, I don't know, Disney World or something like that. And then this group would come in. They would demolish the entire, the entire home. And then in a week's time, they would rebuild it with, you know, 5,000 square foot home kind of thing. And then they would have like some special air system and be able to take care of this and that. And by the end of it, you're like, what's, what's this salty discharge coming out of my eyes? I mean, it was an emotional thing because it's so, so extreme to be able to do that. Even today, we, we like it or we hate it. We give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down on social media. Or for some of you, you heart it. Uh, I send some of you texts and your reply is to heart it. And I'm like, okay, I guess that means you liked it. Other times, we'll make a point of wanting to use extreme language to get our point across of where I've been in situations of where it's been so hot, I will say I'm literally dying here. And Tiffany will look at me and go, literally, literally. <laughs> you're dying and i'm like you don't understand the heat and so we we eat it up we we enjoy extremes we allow ourselves to go to extremes and we do the same things at times with scripture and we need to be very careful Whenever it comes to us studying the Word of God because we read something or we hear somebody teach on something within Scripture or we have it at a glance and we take it and we just kind of run with it. And as as we come to this question of what does Scripture say, what is it actually teaching us, how do we understand it, is that there's just a basic biblical principle of studying the Word of God. That in your own personal study, in our small group studies, that when we're studying the Word together, there's just this phrase, you may have heard it before, but context is king. Context is king when it comes to studying the Word of God, that we want to read what's, what we're studying, we want to read before, we want to read after, because we want to get to the heart of what God is trying to communicate, and not just my interpretation, my understanding, but what is He communicating. And so as we come to this passage that's going to probably be familiar to many of you, in our continuing series on the Sermon on the Mount is you're going to hear probably something that you've heard many times, but within the life of the church and even those outside of the church, they take this passage. And if we're not careful, we go to one of two extremes with this passage and with an interpretation of it. So if you have your Bible, join me, Matthew chapter seven, as we're continuing here, we've now entered into chapter seven of Matthew, Matthew seven, verse one, listen to what it says. Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at, that, or why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. So as we jump into this passage today, many of you, I would imagine, have heard that first verse. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. And to launch our time this morning, I want to kind of go into what this is not. And so what we're looking at today, as we have over the course of chapter 6 and going into chapter 7, is real faith— and what is incorporated within real authentic faith in our relationship with God, within the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of this kingdom, what should our conduct and behavior be? And one of the things that we found is that real faith in this point should have real discernment, that we should have the ability to discern in situations and in circumstances. And so my first point today is that real discernment is not I want us to take a look at what this passage really is not saying because we tend to go to this extreme. We, we say, judge not, as I heard in King James growing up, judge not lest ye be judged. Another way that we might say it in our vernacular today, even though I think it's not correct, is we have heard the expression, who are you to judge me or don't judge me? I know your, your Bible well enough to look at you and say, you're judging me, don't judge me. And again, we go to those extremes. One of the extremes that's been taken from this passage was, some of you know who Tolstoy is. He wrote that Christ seems to be forbidding the human institution of any laws or any courts. Well, if we go to that extreme, then what do we do with the Old Testament law? What do we do with the court system that he put in place there? What do we do with even the institution of the government that God put in place? The Lord is not condemning, Jesus is not condemning the laws or the courts. Other people take this and they say, well, this is an example within our everyday relationships with people. That we are not to be someone who would criticize. We should never criticize. We don't need to be evaluating anything because we don't want to be judged ourselves. So I'm not going to put judgment upon someone else or their situation. And yet we can even read just in this passage that we're studying today that he's going to be bringing up dogs and hogs and then eventually wolves. Oh, my. Uh, Some of you will get that later. And so what you have is you have these dogs and these hogs that he's saying you're obviously evaluating something there in verse six. Later on in the warning passages that we're going to come to in a couple of weeks of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about being, being aware or being cautious of the wolves that are out there. That seems to be making a judgment call of sorts, that you're discerning something to know what is, what is right, what is wrong, what is true. So the Lord is not condemning, Jesus is not condemning any kind of judging or discernment. The Bible tells us that we need to be able to depict or to decipher and to understand what is truth versus what is false. In our lives, especially for, for us in any relationship that we have, parents to your children, to your grandchildren, that, that we would know How do we evaluate this situation and how do I walk alongside that with you as someone who cares for you and loves you? Because there are things that we need to make judgment calls on. So a way to put it is that real discernment is not harshly critical. It's not judgmental. It's not condemning because when those things happen, we tend to live self-righteously self-righteousness begins to creep it's nasty head up in our lives even though we tend to think that we're not self-righteous it's almost in those moments that we appear to be most self-righteous of all jesus is not saying uh, or what we do at times is we we don't want to criticize uh, and we begin to, or excuse me we begin to criticize because we want to Do something on behalf of God. We're standing up for God. We're doing this for the life of the church. And so we're going to be a little harsh. We're going to be a little bit judgmental. But really, we're we're not flustered that God has been offended. We're more frustrated that I have been offended by my ideals and my standards. Sometimes we think that we're criticizing sin, maybe in someone's life. But really, what we're doing is we're looking at someone's personality. We're looking at someone's character. We're looking at their weaknesses. We're looking at their frailties. And that's what we're criticizing, not the sin, but really the the person and their weaknesses. Really, it's a critical spirit is maybe a way that you could look at this. Do you have a critical spirit that when you see someone, you're looking to tear down versus build up? I I can remember years ago when I was in seminary, I was in a uh, preaching class, and you might think just imagine it was just kind of a typical classroom. And in the classroom setting of, of that preaching class, we're learning some of the basics of preaching, teaching, preaching, preparing a sermon, all that kind of thing. We're doing all of that. We're getting a sermon prepared. And then our professor tells us what we're going to do is you're going to prepare this sermon, and then we're going to go to the preaching lab, and we're going to hear one another's sermons, and we're going to evaluate one another, and you're going to get feedback. To me, The most terrifying thing is preaching in front of your peers of of how are you going to tear this apart. The other terrifying thing, and you're you're not going to believe this, we had to preach a sermon in 10 minutes. Impossible. 10 minutes, no notes. And I was like, first of all, impossible. Second of all, 10 minutes, and then my peers are going to have the ability to tear me apart. But I love my preaching professor because he shared with us. He said, one, don't forget uh, after you you criticize or critique the person up there, they're going to get a chance to critique you. So you will be judged maybe as harshly as you were judging them. But two, what we're trying to do in this moment is not tear down, but build up. We're not trying to look at all your faults and frailties because you've never really preached before. You haven't gone through this before. You're going to have some of those issues in your preaching and in your teaching, but it's a chance for us to hopefully see things that maybe you're not seeing in the moment because you're just not aware of it, but we're hearing it from you. And what was a fearful moment became one of the most encouraging moments of we would get up there and we would stand and preach our little 10-minute sermon, and then the professor would say, uh, as for fun, like, all right, guys, let them have it. And and people would begin to say, here's some things you did really well. Here's some things that you might want to work on. But the way in which it was presented, as my professor said, there's a difference between having the ability to critique versus having a critical spirit. Take that out of the preaching lab, if you will, and take that into your own life. When there are those within your family and your closest of relationships, are, are, are you critiquing them to build them up? Are you seeing things in their life to, to try to help them in their walk with the Lord? Or is it really just a critical spirit that we have for, for one another? Because we, we never do that. We, we never go into a church setting and go, I give the music a five, I give the preaching a three. We're never critical when it comes into those kind of situations, ever. I've never done that either. Or we look at someone's ministry and go, well, I would have done it this way. Good for you. Are you doing anything? It's easy for us to see what others are doing, to critique it, to tear it down, and go, this is how it should be done, or this is how I would do it, or this is the way I did it in my day. And it's like, but what are we doing now? that we would go forward and maybe even see, you know what, there might need to be some reform within that ministry or within the way that even our church is maybe conducting something, and we would step back and go, how can we be a part of the, of the reforming of that, that ministry so that we can see it flourish and go forward? Because it takes all of us. It takes us as a church family, as a community of faith, to go forward with this mission of kingdom advancement. The, the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek that, that Matthew is writing, says, do not judge, it's the word krino, It's got like 15 different translations in the Greek, so it's got a lot of different variations of it. Maybe just the simplest way is don't make hasty judgments. You don't have all the facts, so we make assumptions when we don't. There's a commenter by the name of John Stott. He specifically made this comment. He says, Uh, when we're judging, it doesn't mean that we assess people critically. Uh, uh, It's not meaning that we don't assess people critically, but we judge them harshly. And then he uses this word censorious. And in everybody that I was studying over this passage, all these different commenters, they kept bringing up this word from John Stott, censorious. And so I was like, I think I need to share that with you. It's your word for the day. Censorious is this. The censorious critic is a fault finder. Who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Don't we just love that guy? Isn't that the guy that you just want to be buddies with and hang around? And what Jesus would say is yeah, no one wants to be around that guy, but are you that guy? Are you that lady? Do you find that people are open and authentic with you, with some of maybe their deeper issues of life? If you do, maybe, just maybe, they continue to come to you. One, maybe because you let things slide, but, or maybe because you're gracious with them and you listen to them, and you're willing to walk through what it is that they're going through. Another way to put it is that someone who is judging in this sense, who's being judgmental, condemning is they never let up. They keep on criticizing, they keep on criticizing. Most of us think that most people think they can they can judge because I think you think that we're under a different set of conditions than everybody else. I know that that's wrong for everyone else, but there's an exception clause for me. I'm I'm the exception because because look at me. I'm beautiful. Like I should be able to get away with this, but Instead, we we want to look upon others. We want to dish out the judgment that is really reserved for for God. When we're negative, when we gossip, when we're critical, when we're judgmental, we're under this false illusion that we are exempt from judgment. Look at verse 2 when Jesus says, For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. A great example of this comes from the Old Testament. Some of you may remember the story of Esther. Remember, Esther is the queen of Persia. And in that story, uh, the, 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 the villain of that story is a man by the name of Haman. And Haman wants to just have the Jews eradicated because he has been humiliated by a man named Mordecai. Mordecai just happens to be Esther's uncle. And what happens is, is Haman is so humiliated by Mordecai that he wants to have not only Mordecai killed, he wants an edict to be sent out to literally to have genocide upon all Jewish people around the entire world that will be sent out, that everyone will be killed. And Haman is so passionate about killing his nemesis, Mordecai, this man of God, that he builds these gallows to hang Mordecai upon. But as the story unfolds, what happens is we begin to find out that the king has kind of been duped and confused and manipulated by Haman, the villain. And by the end of things, you come to the end of the story, and the very gallows that Mordecai was to be hung upon were the very gallows that Haman was hung upon. That which he was wanting to use for judgment upon Mordecai was the, own, was the exact judgment that he received. It's interesting how that can work out at times. You can't judge righteous judgments on anyone because you don't have all the facts. It's basically you saying, I want to play God. I don't have it on the screen because it's still good for you to bring your Bibles and to turn there, but look at James chapter four. Look at James chapter four. In James chapter four, verse 11 The half-brother of Jesus says this, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Now, look at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, what he's talking about here is that harsh, critical, like righteous judgment It's you setting yourself up as the authority of of this situation and that person's actions. It's you, literally, it's this idea of God is on his judgment seat throne, and you look at the situation and go, God, I don't think you're handling this well. I need to knock you off that throne, get you out of that chair, and I want to sit in the judgment seat of those who are around me because this situation is really bothering me, and I don't think you're doing anything about it. I got this. I get to be the authority in this situation, which would be just as ridiculous as if a kindergartner came to the teacher and said, Teacher, I got this. I'll teach them. I can figure this out. I'm the authority now. And you would look at that kindergartner and go, sit down. (laughs) I was reminded of whenever I was working at a camp in college at this place called New Life Ranch, and I'd been a ropes instructor for years. And I'm, I'm helping these guys and these gals, these kids, climb the, the rock wall and rappel and do all these different things and get make sure their harness is on safe and, and tying the knots and doing the ropes. And then there's always that one guy who shows up who's one of those campers. He's like got his own gear. He's got his shoes. He's got all these things. And it's like, man, how long have you been climbing? I got these last week. My mom bought them for me. <laughs> I'm ready to go. And, it's, and we get out there and we start going over some of the safety rules. And here's the thing. And if we say, uh, you know, belay on, belay is on. If we say, you know, you got to be spotting, spot on, like you got to be ready to go. And this one guy who brought his own stuff, he's got his gear and he's just like, actually, guys, what you need to do. And it was one of those points of like, you want to teach the class? Because you kill them all. Like, you're not the authority in this situation. You don't have the expertise. You don't have the training. You're not the instructor. And at times what we do is we say, God, I I think this is how this person should be dealt with. And and, and before we say, well, that's not me. What about someone who's on the other side of the aisle of you politically? What about someone who's just has just a different opinion uh, from you? How, How often do we look at social media and Talk about a place that's just a chamber of just enthusiasm and extremes. I mean, it's such a kind place. It's just one of those things of where it's all thumbs up, all thumbs down. And you come onto the scenes, you're like, I'll set the record straight. And everything is going to be rectified. And we're all going to get along because this is the way. Because we want to be the authority. But friend, I just want to remind you, maybe this brings a little bit of relief to you. You're not the authority. I'm not the authority. There's one lawgiver and one judge We want to point people towards him and make sure, yeah, they're in right relationship with that authority. We're not qualified because we can't see people's hearts. We can see the fruit of their life, but we can't see people's hearts. We don't know their their minds. We also don't know where they've been or how far they've come along. Think about this. There, there may be someone that maybe, I don't know, they walk into this setting or they walk into another maybe uh, church-type setting and they walk in and they look just a little bit off or a little bit different, dressed a little bit differently. Maybe they have some things that, that, that maybe you wouldn't have uh, as far as their appearance or maybe just maybe some of their language, whatever it may be. And they come into this place and the first thing we might do is go, ah, that's not the right behavior in this place. It's not how you're supposed to look, talk, or act. But if you mean to peel back the layers, you might realize that this is an individual who's coming into a setting, into a place that they've never been in before, so they don't know how to relate or how to act. One of my favorite things is when I go and work out at a gym, and I'm getting to visit with some guys, and as I'm talking to them, and they're just being themselves, and we're just hanging out, we're having a good time, and I'm like, hey, can you spot me? And we're just talking, and then the conversation, as most guys have, is, what do you do? And they ask me, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. They don't need to change their language, because They haven't been transformed from the inside out. They don't need to change any of that. But yet they want to all of a sudden shift something for just a moment because I don't want to be judged by you. I don't want to be treated harshly by you. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm the same guy that we were talking about before. I'm not expecting you to change because I can't change you. And nor do I want you to have some kind of conduct behavioral change. I want you to be changed from the inside out because you're transformed by the power and the person of Jesus. That's change. Another way to kind of relate it is this, because we, we see people, and I think hopefully for us as a church family, and as I've gotten to know you over the last year, your hearts, oh, I love your heart. <laughs> but at times, if we're not careful, we do become harshly critical. If we're not careful, we can kind of become judgmental of others, of I would do this, you shouldn't do that, is we We make those assumptions, and especially because we don't know people's history or people's story of where they come from, and so we expect them to be here when it's like they're still on that journey. They're still being in the process of working out their salvation, and that's okay. One way to kind of illustrate it is this: if, if when Tiffany and I first moved into our home here in Murfreesboro a few years ago, when we drove up, that place was just a weed pile. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting just weeds everywhere. Basically not, a, not, a, not even a hint of a blade of any kind of grass. i take crab grass, like give me something. I mean, it was just awful. It was disgusting. And, and I, I like having a nice looking yard. I like seeing those lines. I mean, I think it's fun. I think it's pretty. And so over the years, I remember my brother even driving up and he's like, you got the worst yard in the whole neighborhood. And I was like, thanks, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> That's one of those harshly critical moments that we don't need to hear right now. And as he... As he's leaving, I'm like, well, you know what? Kind of rude. But yes, there needs to be some work done here. And I don't have the money to want to pay some guy to come out and spray it. And I'll do it. And so over the last couple of years, I've been working on it. And right now, even those of you that come to our place for, for small group study, for Doug and Janice's small group, when you come over, you might have driven up a few weeks ago and was like, this yard is disgusting. Look at it. But you don't see how far it's come along. You haven't seen the transformational work that's happened by Putting seed into the ground and see it begin to grow. Yeah, I still got some spots. I still got some rough patches there in that front yard. But man, it's come a long way because there's someone from the outside working inwardly into that yard to see it produce and to see it grow and to take steps forward. Same is true for for a lot of us. Maybe you've been on this faith journey since you were a child. Even studying the Word and studying Scripture, and frankly, maybe you need to be further along in your maturity and your walk with the Lord. And then we see others who maybe their relationship with Christ is brand new, and they're coming out of some things that we have no idea of what they've come out of. And it's, it's stepping back and going, I don't know your story. I don't know your full history. I don't know how far God has brought you along, but man, let's celebrate it where you are. And then together, let's go forward. It's that whole thing of you come as you are. And, 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 but, but man, we, we don't want to see you stay exactly where you are. We want to see you grow. We want to see you mature because we care enough to walk alongside with you two imperfect individuals, a group of imperfect individuals pursuing a perfect and a holy God. And we do that together with one another, which leads me to point two. We saw what real discernment is not, but real discernment is rooted in grace. It's rooted in grace. And I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't want to leave this out. So it's almost kind of like I got point two and two A because I like just both of these, but real discernment is rooted in grace and real discernment is generated out of humility. There, there's enough of a nuance between these two different things of grace and humility. But for us, I think to truly be discerning individuals towards one another in our relationships with each other, within the body of Christ, is that it's rooted in grace and generated out of hum- humility. It's that we would not tear down, but that we would build up. That we're not destructive, but that we're constructive with one another. It's as it says in verse 3, we, who do you, who, Why do you look at that speck in, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? We see that speck, and we want to get it. We want to go after it, because it's bothering me. And we're not thinking about how it's bothering them. And we're oblivious to the fact that we have a log sticking out of our eye. We're bred in a culture today to be nitpickers, that we see any little thing and go, ah, I do it this way, ah, I do it that way, it's not perfect, and then we realize we're not perfect. Like we, we, we have to take a step back and not allow the culture to influence us, that we're not those nitpickers, that we're just picking the speck, picking the speck, picking the speck. It's understanding through introspection that we have a moment of where we, we are just with the Lord and our time with him and realizing, Lord, I know that I'm not perfect. I recognize that I'm a mess. Do you get that? We're all a mess. You where you sit, you're a mess. I'm a mess. I mean, have you ever been around you? You're messy. <laughs> if you ever been around me, I'm messy. Like we all have issues and things and struggles and frailties and weaknesses in our life. I mean, really what we have is we, we want to focus on maybe that speck in a brother's eye, but we forget the log in our own eye. <laughs> One illustration that I heard a guy say is like, basically right now we're, yes, a church family, but it's like we're in a lumber yard right now. There's all kinds of specks and splinters and two by fours and logs and trees all over this place right now. You just can't see them because it's make-believe. But we all have that right now. It's a big lumber yard in here. That's why we need grace. When you receive the grace of God within your life through faith in Jesus, it should therefore produce within you humility. If you have received grace, a virtue, a marker of you in your life should be that of humility. And when we have received grace, which generates this humility, we will be men and women of discernment. And we'll be in a a right position and place to be men and women of discernment that we could come along and that we could be a help and an aid to someone. Because if, if we haven't taken the time to step back and go, I am a mess, but I've received the grace of God. And that humbles me that, wow, he, he would be moved to have an affection for a sinner like me. That when we see others in their walk with the Lord, or if they're not in a relationship with the Lord, we're burdened for them because Because we want to see their good, not just what we want out of it, but we want to see good for for, for them. We want to help them. Uh, Think of it this. I mean, some of you, I I remember taking years ago CPR, and I was a lifeguard for a little bit, and they they were very big on, like, if you're going to go and help someone, if you go out there and... And they begin to, you begin to start drowning, and you're like, well, I'm going to help this guy, and I'm going to get you to safely to shore, even though you're not capable of even helping yourself, you become a danger to both of you. And sometimes what we do is we don't recognize that I need to be introspective for just a moment so that I can see the log that is within my own eye before I deal with the speck that is in your eye, because I, I, need, I need to recognize that i got to take care of, of what's going on here within me, that that I would recognize the grace that I've received, which causes humility. I think a way in which we can really kind of have those moments of introspection to where we can really see the log that is in our own eye is, is rest. I think every single one of you would do well, myself included, to rest from the noise of everything around us, the, the noise of, of being immersed in a culture that is, that is, that is negative or that gossips or that is just harsh or that is extreme. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, just the number of times that we, that we pull out our phone, the number of times that we get onto social media, the number of times that we get onto the internet, the number of times that we turn on the television and we watch that program, and we get so immersed in that world and that culture, it's all that we hear, and we're just in this echo chamber of what we're hearing from other people, and, and we step back and we go, why, why am I so anxious and so worried? Why am I so fearful? And so much of what we're putting in is just beginning to kind of overtake us. Whereas if we would sit and rest from the noise and just literally just open up the word and spend that time with the Lord and be reminded of his grace in our life, maybe if if we would be reminded of that grace that we have received, we then might be demonstrating that grace that's received. But at times, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I watch the news long enough, I'm receiving, if you will, that harsh extreme. And then all of a sudden I feel like, I'm putting out that harsh extreme. I can remember, again, growing up and being with my buddies, the way that we talked to each other was through sarcasm. That was just how we talked as friends and as guys. And then I found I can't take that kind of language into my other relationships because it's unhealthy. Because it's not, it's not helping my marriage relationship with Tiffany of, of being sarcastic with her. And I was like, I got to be careful and step back of going, do I want to be identified as the sarcastic guy or do I want to have healthy relationships with these? Because I was taking so much of it in, I was putting so much of it back out. We need to be mindful of just sitting and resting from that. And I know that for some of you, you're like, if, if I turn off, As we talked about a few weeks ago, fasting. If if I fasted from technology or from my phone, you don't understand. I couldn't do my job. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. But what could you do if you did fast? If, If you did rest from the noise of all of that clutter that is around you for just a moment? To be able to hear clearly, to be introspective. And some of you are like, I couldn't stand the silence. The silence would be deafening to me. But it's not until I think we are in the the quiet place with the Lord that we begin to see and begin to identify, that's the log in my life. And now that I've identified it, I can confess it. And now that I've confessed it, I'm repentant. Now that I'm repentant, I'm restored. And the joy of my salvation is renewed unto me as it was for David in Psalm 51. I want you to walk away from this place today, not afraid of the silence, not afraid of identifying your issues, your weaknesses, your frailties, because I think when we do, we go to one who is greater still, who has the power and authority to give us grace and to forgive us of all of our shortcomings, and we walk away with a burden that is lifted off of us. Now, I told you before, one extreme of this passage is that we go to the extreme of, judge not lest you be judged and so i'm not going to judge anybody who am i to judge i'm just going to be hands off and i think we can see that that yeah we got to be careful of how we judge one another that we're not just harsh critics the other extreme could be well i don't want to be judged and he's saying don't judge so i'm just not going to say anything and at times we live in a time and a culture even within the life of the church of you just do you because who am i to get into your business who am I to speak up and to say something when I see something amiss or off? Because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I can't come to you who's been saved by grace and say anything because that, that's not fair. That's not right. And, and we go to that extreme of I'm just going to be hands off from people. And God has not called us to be hands off. God has designed the church as a family in a way to where we engage with one another. Point number three is that real discernment demonstrates genuine care. It's that we discern a situation of what someone is going through. And because we have been introspective and because we have identified the log that is in our own life, our own frailties and weaknesses, which then humbles us that by God's grace, he would forgive us of those things. And I'm taking that log and confessing it to him. It's then that we have the ability help our brother or sister with that speck because look at what it says there in verse five sometimes we skip this he says first take out the log take the log out of your own eye and then and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye leviticus 19 is basically saying we can't let our brother keep on sinning that's a violation of loving your brother I mentioned before Psalm 51. David has come to realize through uh, someone holding him accountable that he has committed adultery and that he has been a part of murder, and uh, he is now recognizing it and he's confessing this to the Lord. He sees the log; he's broken over his sin, and he says in Psalm 51, "Create in me a clean heart, O God." Why? Well, he wants the joy of his salvation to be returned. That's a personal inward thing. But then he also goes on. He says, because when this happens, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. It's not just that we want to be introspective and make this faith journey all about me and how God can be gracious to me and I can be humbled and receive forgiveness. It's that once I have, I then dispense and share that when I see someone I love and I care about going amiss and going wayward, I don't just say, yeah, keep walking, fall off that cliff. That's not love. That's cowardice. It's an unwillingness to step in and intervene. Yeah, there are those. If we haven't reflected to see who we are and our weakness and our our sin, that we could come along. And if we are being self-righteous, we could say, See that guy about to walk off the cliff. He's got the speck in his eye and we could come harshly and critical to them. But I think if we come because we understand the grace that we've received, we come with humility and with tact and with kindness. And we live out what Paul says in Galatians 6, restore a brother in gentleness. It's the same word we would say for humility. Come humbly before your brother or sister in Christ. Not as a know-it-all, not as a holier-than-thou kind of person or mentality, but I love you enough to not let you go forward because you're—it's going to be dangerous and destructive for you. Some of you might even say, "I've walked down that path. I know where it leads." Later on, we're going to get into uh, the the warning passages of Jesus, which is basically Jesus saying, "I love you enough to tell you the truth." that there are two paths, one's narrow, one's wide. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. There are moments where we speak up and we speak out. And we do get involved in someone's life, not to get up and just kind of be a busybody within their business, but we come alongside them and we walk along with them in humility because of the grace that that we have received. I think about it with Tiffany. There's been times where I've had something in my eye. And sometimes we even say, is there something in my eye? Do you see it? What would be really rude of me is like, couldn't possibly look to see if you have something in your eye. I might have something in my own eye and I got to deal with me and and I'm not going to look at your eye. And you're like, no, it really hurts. Is there something in there? even the smallest little bit of a piece of wood in your eye is just going to cause it to to water and you're rubbing and you're doing everything you can to try to deal with this thing. My hope is that someone would come along and they would say, sit still, let me see. And I can see clearly because I've taken my own thing out. And and I care enough to even get the smallest little speck of a splinter out because I know even a small splinter is just aggravating and it hurts and it debilitates you to where you can't see where you're going and how to live this life. Now, in verse 6, Jesus gives a warning. Now, there's been a lot of discussion of what is, why is he bringing up dogs and hogs? Why is he bringing up these two kind of animals? And what it is is that as you go along, and you do help someone with that speck in their eye because you've dealt with the log that's in your own, is there's going to be times where you come along out of genuine care and genuine concern. And and it's like, well, what do we do when I come to someone with genuine care, genuine concern and humility, and they don't want to receive what it is that I'm offering or how I'm trying to help? What do I do then? And Jesus basically says, back away. (laughs) He said, in this day and age, dogs are not what we think of as dogs today. I know many of you have dogs in your own household, and they're cute, and they're adorable, and they got sweaters on, and all that kind of fun stuff. These, these were animals that were just at the trash heap, causing problems wild. Not, not a pet you would want to have. Same was true with hogs. If you've ever been hog hunting, be careful, because they can come after you. And so we got to be careful with this. Not that we're not wanting to offer to those who are far from God or who have no relationship with the Lord. But when we come to offer the truth of God and his word, sometimes it's not well received. And sometimes what we continue to do is, he says, is we continue to throw pearls to them, the truth to them, something that's priceless, something that is uh, just uh, of an incredible value. But think of it, a hog is not going to appreciate pearls though it was priceless in that day, incredibly valuable, it's just going to stomp over those and come after you because that's not what I want. That's not what I'm looking for. I don't, I don't want the truth. I want, I want something of this world. And we're casting them something. We're, we're sharing with them the proclamation or the truth of, of God and his word. One commentator says this, he says, hogs and dogs are those who have heard and known the truth and yet have chosen to follow the way of what we'll read later on, false teachers and false prophets and liars and deceivers. There are going to be some people that you're going to try and help, but they're going to bite you. And you've come in humility and you've come in grace, but they're not going to receive it. That's when we back away and we give them their space. Sometimes what we do is we go, no, 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 you need to know this truth. and I'm going to cram it down your throat. Sometimes what we do is we go, it's not being received. I'm going to step back because I'm not God. One of the hardest things in ministry that I've had to come to is, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds really bad, but it's just true. I would preach a sermon. I would visit with someone in their home, and I was just like, I want to take the gospel and just cram it into your brain, into your heart. Get this. Your soul is at stake. You got all this stuff, you got this beautiful home, this beautiful family, you have all these things, and you're gonna forfeit your soul. Get it! God pulled me aside in a moment of introspection (laughs) and reminded me you can't save anybody, you can't transform someone's heart. I can. You be faithful to proclaim, I'll be faithful to transform. I had to step back and recognize that at times I'm maybe pushing a little bit too much. But I think this is good. There's another commentator that I like what he said. Because we could read this verse and go, well, I'm just going to pull back completely. Because I don't want to be that guy that's casting pearls to swine or casting truth that's just not going to be received as a kind of a waste of time. and They're going to bite me. He said in verse Verse 6, it says, it's probably a verse that in certain settings with certain people in the life of the church that maybe should not be taught. This is kind of tongue in cheek. He says, Why? Because most people's problem is not that they are inclined to be undiscerning and often cast their pearls before swine. No, no, no. Their problem is that they, are, they aren't casting their pearls at all, they aren't even proclaiming the truth ever. Matthew 7, 6 is addressed to those who are so zealous for evangelism that they fail to discern the scoffer from the hungry soul. Most likely, our problem is that we have no such zeal to evangelize in the first place. So evangelize, proclaim the truth, but also recognize that at moments it may not be well received. It's not on you. It is on them. Continue to pray for them. Continue to proclaim the truth but be mindful that it just may not be received at this time. The self-righteous would maybe say at this moment is, you know what, this whole judging thing, I hope so-and-so is listening. They really need to get this. Please look inwardly to yourself, if that's the case. This morning, when before we go and before we leave, I've told you this before, but every Sunday before I'm, I'm coming here to preach, I'm just, God, what, what do we do? What do we do with this? And I feel that what we do with this is that a passage like this should cause us to be moved. That God was so gracious to us. This should be a passage that could, should cause us to look inwardly and be like, Lord, may there not be a measure of self-righteousness within me that I think that I'm better than the person next to me or the, that person or this person. that No, 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 no. God, by your grace, I'm a part of your family. And that humbles me to my very core. And when I see someone hurting, I see someone walking in a destructive path, I'm not judging them. That's your job. But I am caring. I'm burdened for them. Recently, I have a friend of mine who's going through a very difficult situation. He's like, I don't don't feel like I can talk to anybody about it because I feel that all I'm going to receive is judgment because if I share the authenticity of my heart of what I'm experiencing, it will just be ammunition for others to point towards me as opposed to wanting to see me be set free. And this is within the church. I told you before that there has been friends of mine who have gone wayward and, and, and just kind of had, had their problems because of something that happened in the church. They got hurt, and they didn't want to be and deal with, with hypocrites. And I, I just remind us that, that maybe that's even you or a friend of yours or family members of yours, and because we're saved by grace and because we are have our frailties, frankly, we're all hypocrites at times. But we bear with one another. And come alongside one another. Want to lift each other up and build up one another. Not just cast them off to the side. Yeah, there's going to be moments where we make discernment. There's going to be moments where we make judgment calls. There are moments within church and within ministry where we even maybe, you you do, you let a staff member go or you have this happen. You're making those judgment calls. You're doing things to to be protective of, of Christ and his church and the kingdom work. But but But... Even, even a friend of mine who was in ministry who, who went wayward and did some things that he definitely shouldn't have. Not only did, did he lose the ministry, which was appropriate, there was consequences. There's consequences for our actions. But so many people within ministry who were his brothers in arms didn't come alongside and journey along with him because they didn't want to be seen, associated with him. And this man's whole life was wrecked because camera crews followed him to a place he shouldn't have been in you know, like a sting operation. He was caught. He dealt with the consequences. I remember calling this guy up. We got to go to China together. He just weeped over the phone. And he was like, you're the first one who's called. I didn't do that to go, oh, wow, I'm the first one is called. All you other guys stink. When we begin to think, I would never, you'll never see me do that. And pride comes before the fall. I hope I will never. (laughs) By God's grace, I I will never. But my my hope is that we could be an environment and a community that we come alongside one another. And we we don't let you just live however you want and go, do whatever you want. That we could come, though, with kindness and tact and say, unacceptable. But now let's walk through it. I'm by your side. Because what if we did feel comfortable enough? And I'm not saying this is with everyone. I get that. There's certain relationships where I think you can have these conversations. But hopefully, may it be that we find these relationships within the body of Christ. That we can be in that small group. And we have a, maybe a few that we're even just a little bit closer with. And I can be real and authentic with you of some of my frailties, of some of the logs that I'm identifying in my life and that you're, gonna, you're not going to go, I've got to keep my distance. It's, no, no, no. I'm going to move in because I'm burdened for you. I've shared it before, but a good friend of mine struggled with, with the faith, with the church. He said, I, I feel that I am better heard going down to my local bar than in my small group. The problem is, is, in the local bar, they're not, they're not proclaiming Christ and him crucified. I want you to be able to have those relationships. That's not why. We, we didn't do small groups to be like, here's our growth strategy. We're going to really grow now. We want community and authenticity and transparency that you get beyond just the how's the weather and how are the sports and yeah, oh, you lost yesterday, it was the worst. And we have those moments of where, yeah, we have those surfacey conversations, but then we have those moments because we're building with intentionality relationships to journey through this difficult life together in this sin-soaked world because here's the thing, I need you and you need each other. And the way that we're going to thrive is when we recognize, I don't have it all figured out, but let's figure it out together. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And maybe a way that this morning that you can begin to kind of become introspective of what it is that you've studied and heard from this passage in Matthew. Is The song that we're going to sing is familiar one to probably a lot of you is turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's like the best thing you could do right now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Be reminded of his grace and his mercy in your life. And maybe that will just humble you just a bit. And then I would imagine that there very well might be a family member that's on your heart or mind right now or a friend. And they're just a A little bit off, or by your estimation, a long way off from walking that narrow path that leads to life. Maybe God has just placed it upon your heart, Help them get that speck out of their eye. But before you do, would you come in humility before my throne, be reminded of who I am and how much I love you and I, I love them the same. So go to them with kindness and humility. Go to them with tact. Others of you, you may have someone in your life that you dearly love. And if you will, they've been biting at you. They don't like to hear what it is that you have to say. It very well could be that maybe you don't realize it until now. I've been coming a bit self-righteously not a burden for them, but really a burden for me of how your actions are reflected upon me. Maybe this morning, what you need to do is just pray and say, God, help me when I have the moment to share the truth. But Father, help me not to cast my pearls to the swine because there are a lot, a lot of sheep out there that are eager to hear the truth. Lastly, maybe for some of you this morning, as we saw Yvonne a couple of weeks ago, maybe some of you that you would say, you know what? I've been here for a bit. I need to be a part of a community of faith. I need authenticity. I need people I can walk with. I've found that here. I hope to go deeper still, but I've found that here. And that may be you today saying, you know what? It's time to commit and be a part of what God is doing here because I need, I need these people in my life to kindly and graciously hold me accountable because we have a king that we want to represent well. And so in just a moment again, as I've said many weeks, many times, maybe the last thing you need to do is sing. The best thing you need to do is just pray and be introspective. So, if you would, would you stand? Would you sing with these? Would you pray? And if at any point, if you need something, if you want to pray together, if you want to talk about what does it mean to become a part of this family, I'll be right there. I'd love to visit.